So here we are in a new year, 2019, and I've heard many people say that as you get older, it seems like time goes faster, and I believe that to be true from experience. I look at 2018, it just feels like it flew by, and all of a sudden we're here in 2019. Now, flipping the calendar to a new year inspires a lot of people to reflect on their lives and look for ways to improve how they are living. We call these New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions are popular, and by far the most popular category of New Year's resolutions is the category of improving our physical health. You know, we look at our bodies, or we look at the number on the scale, or we hear what the doctor says to us, and we resolve to implement practical action steps to help us get healthier physically. And that's a good thing. But what about our spiritual health? What about our spiritual health? Now, I am all for being healthy physically. I I enjoy riding my bicycle many hours every single week. And in the past, I've been very passionate about playing racquetball and playing basketball and running and lifting weights. You know, and I know many of you enjoy uh, exercising as well. And even if you don't enjoy exercising, or even if you don't exercise at all, we all know that exercise is important. But as important as it is to take care of our bodies physically, it is far more important to be healthy spiritually. And so with that in mind, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Today we are heading into a new series called Habits of Grace. And I will get to the, the point of the, the series and the title and the direction of the series in a few minutes. But I want to start by looking at a couple of verses in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy. Timothy Timothy at that time was a pastor, and Paul was writing to give him some practical advice and guidance in his ministry. And even though this is written to a pastor, it still has a lot of relevance for our lives today. So let me pray for us, and we'll dig into 1 Timothy chapter 4. Father, thank you that you make a way for us to know you through Jesus. As we head into this new year, Lord, I pray that we will all examine our lives that we will identify ways to grow, especially grow in our relationship with you. And even at this time together now, as we open the scripture, these truths were written so many years ago, but they still have so much relevance today. Lord, please inspire and challenge and convict and encourage and motivate us, Lord, to take practical action steps this year that will yield life change for as long as we are on this earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So this passage is about training for godliness. Let's start in verse 8. Paul says, For physical training is of some value. And Paul here is talking about exercise. Twice here in this passage we see the word train. It says, Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy 
in the language of Greek. And the Greek word that he used here that is translated train or training, it's the word gymnasia. Does that word gymnasia sound familiar to you? Gymnasium or gymnast or gym class. Gymnasia is a word for training. It's, it's exercise. It's physical exertion. It's, it's trying to get healthy physically. It's working out. And Paul is talking here about the idea of working out athletically. And back then they knew all about athletes in the Roman Empire. I mean, Paul and Timothy lived in the general region of the world where the Olympics originated. And there were athletic competitions throughout the Roman Empire. But when an athlete would go to compete in a competition, they would not go without preparing. No, they would prepare. They would train. They would go into gymnasia in order to have a chance to win the competition. Now, for us in our world today, uh, it's not only athletes who dedicate themselves to physical training. I mean, ordinary, everyday people just like you and me, I mean, spend all kinds of time and all kinds of money on memberships and classes and equipment to help us to be physically fit. I know that many of you use apps on your phone or on your watch to track your physical activity through the day because you want to use that to help be physically fit. And so it's a good thing to focus on physical health. That's, a, that's definitely a good thing. Yet Paul says, for physical training is of some value. It's of some value, but he says godliness has value in all things. And so to summarize this passage, we see that there is so much focus on our body's health. I mean, we exercise and we eat well and we, we go to the doctor and we stretch and we take our vitamins, or at least we know we should do these things. There's so much focus on our body's health, but the greater focus needs to be on our godliness. Paul says physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So the goal here is godliness. Now, if you are like me, when you hear this word godliness, it doesn't necessarily make us super excited. Because on one hand, it sounds, you know, kind of boring. Yeah, it sounds like it's in the same category as someone who says, well, you just be kind. You know, be, be a good person. Be nice. You know, these are good qualities, but, you know, they're kind of boring. Christians, and especially younger Christians, uh, would get a whole lot more excited if someone said, okay, let's, let's go do something. Let's, let's go change the world for Jesus. Or let, let's reach our community with the gospel. We get a lot more excited about things that we do. But we come to this idea of being godly, training for godliness, and it sounds kind of boring. Sounds a little bit outdated. Yet Paul still tells us to train for godliness. Now one of the other challenges of this word godliness is that it's kind of nebulous. We, we hear it and like, okay, what does that really mean to be godly? Well, let me give you a definition. Godliness is joyful devotion to God resulting in a life that glorifies him. It's joyful devotion to God resulting in a life that glorifies him. So godliness starts internally. It starts with what's going on inside of us. This devotion to God is about being fully committed to him. It's not just activities and stuff that we do. It starts in the heart with our attitude. It's an attitude that, that rejoices in knowing God. It's an attitude that, that takes him seriously, 
It's an attitude that it wants to know him better and better. I think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Paul has just surveyed his life, and he's, he's listed out a number of his accomplishments, and he, he's listed out a number of things that are going really well for him. And he says, you know what? I consider all those things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, you know what? Those things, they're, they're decent things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But compared to knowing Jesus, they are nothing. Because knowing Jesus is so great. And so, so, so Paul is enthralled with the greatness of Jesus. He wants to know Jesus better. And this is really the heartbeat behind the, the pursuit of godliness. That we want to enjoy God more. And we want to know him better. So godliness, it starts with what's going on inside of us. But then it overflows, this devotion to God overflows into our actions and our words. It makes a practical difference in our day-to-day lives. As Paul says, godliness has value in all things. All things, all parts of life, all relationships, our work, our school, our hobbies, the way we handle our money, the, the way we handle everything is benefited by godliness. Let me ask a few questions that indicate some of the aspects of how godliness ought to influence us. How do we treat those around us? That is a part of godliness. Do we display genuine love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness in our relationships? Do we give generously of our time and our money? Are we able to wisely navigate the challenges of life? How do we respond to temptation? Do we live with integrity? Or is there a disconnect between who we portray ourselves to be in public versus who we really are when no one's looking? These are all questions that relate to this topic of godliness. It's about this devotion internally to God that results in glorifying Him. And as we glorify Him, we enjoy Him more and more. That is the heartbeat, again, behind godliness. And in verse 7, Paul says very clearly, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Godliness doesn't just happen haphazardly. We don't just accidentally find ourselves living godly lives. It's kind of like someone doesn't just accidentally stumble into being uh, physically fit. I mean, I, I think a lot of us would like it if it was that way. If you could just sit on the couch and watch TV and suddenly your body is physically fit, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's a resolution you could keep. But the reality is, we don't get physically fit by doing nothing in the same way. We don't get godly by doing nothing. I think back to high school, I ran track. And a few weeks before the track season would start, I would go out and I'd start running on the roads or on the treadmill in order to prepare for track season. The irony is, I was training before the official training began. But I knew my body was not in shape for serious running. I mean, I wasn't terribly out of shape. I was still skinny. But I needed to get my body prepared for serious running, for the training of the track season. Then we'd train for weeks and weeks, and then would come the track meets. But you have to train to get yourself in the optimum physical condition for any sort of athletics. It's the same way in our relationship with God. That if we truly want to live a godly life that is devoted to Him and glorifies Him in everything we do, it takes training. We have to dedicate ourselves. That's why Paul says, train yourself to be godly. When he says this, he's basically saying, you know what? Get into the spiritual gymnasium. 
You know, dedicate yourself to growing in godliness. And that is really what this new sermon series is all about. It's called Habits of Grace because it's talking about specific practices that we are seeking to implement in our lives to help us to grow in that devotion to God and grow in glorifying Him, but also to really grow in enjoying God. Because, you know, there are a lot of Christians out there who are going to church on a regular basis. They're doing various church activities. They may even be reading their Bible and praying consistently. But they aren't really experiencing joy in their relationship with God. Might be going through the motions. Might be drudgery. Might be something that gives them some warm feelings. But they still aren't experiencing true joy. The goal of this series is to help us to experience joy in our relationship with God, and to do it in the form of these habits, something that gets ingrained into us, these certain practices. Now, as I was preparing for the series, there were a number of weeks where I was going back and forth between two phrases, trying to figure out, okay, which phrase is going to define this series? Is it going to be habits of grace, or is it going to be spiritual disciplines? Because they both look at the same topics, but from two different angles. Spiritual disciplines is more the traditional term. It's talking about these practices like reading our Bible and memorizing Scripture and praying and fasting and solitude and gathering for worship just like this and and fellowship and accountability with others and, and serving others and giving generously. These are all spiritual disciplines that help us to grow as followers of Jesus. But I was debating, okay, do we focus on the term habits of grace or spiritual disciplines. Again, they talk about the same thing, but from two different angles. I ended up going with habits of grace, even though it's a less known term, because I think it better describes the process of spiritual growth. Now, spiritual discipline, it's still a valuable phrase. We use it in our subtitle for the series. But, but I, I feel like spiritual discipline focuses a whole lot, if not entirely, on what we are doing. We work hard. We put in the effort. We are disciplined. We do this and this and this. And to be sure, we do have a significant role in our spiritual growth. Paul here in verse 7 says, Train yourself to be godly. There is a personal responsibility that we have. If we want to grow as a follower of Jesus, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. I mean, your spouse or your parent cannot make you grow in godliness. I am a pastor, but I cannot make you grow in godliness. I can teach you, I can encourage you, but you have to take responsibility for yourself. I have to take responsibility for myself to grow spiritually, train yourself to be godly. But the process is not only about what we do. The process is ultimately about what God does in us as we cooperate with what he wants to do. God's grace is paramount in our growth. It's what empowers our growth. I think of a, of a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is reflecting on how far God has brought him in his life spiritually. And he says, as he reflects on his life, listen here to the kind of the connection between grace and hard work that Paul has implemented in his life. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It was God's grace that empowered Paul to work hard. It was God's grace that caused Paul to grow. So grace is an essential element of 
our spiritual growth. And that's why I like the term habits of grace. There are these certain practices that we are implementing into our lives that, that I want them to become habits. They need to become habits, kind of like brushing our teeth is a habit. Buckling our seatbelt, hopefully, is a habit. That's something that if we don't do those things, something's amiss. It doesn't feel quite right. But we do these things knowing there's a larger purpose that we're aiming for of having healthy teeth, of staying safe in the vehicle. We have that larger goal, but it's just a habit that helps, helps us reach that larger goal. It's a habit that's just ingrained in us, a part of what we do. It's a habit of grace. Because as we implement it in our lives, as it becomes ingrained in us, then it puts us in a position to have fresh experiences with God's grace on a regular basis so that he can transform us. Let me give you a little illustration here. I have a pitcher of water and a glass. In this illustration, imagine this pitcher of water represents God and his grace that he pours out. And this glass represents our lives. Now, if you want to pour water in your glass, it needs to be in a particular position in relationship with the pitcher in order for water to enter the glass. It doesn't really work if you pour water and the glass is way over here, does it? No, it doesn't. It's a nice looking glass. Not being filled. Doesn't really work if you lay the glass right there either, does it? No, or I mean, if you, pour, if you turn the glass upside down, not going to work. You have to have the glass in a certain orientation in relationship with the pitcher in order for water to fill the glass. And that's how it is with these habits of grace. Now, God, we cannot force his hand. He can choose to do whatever he wants to do. He is not some sort of cosmic vending machine that if we just do X, Y, and Z in a certain way, then God is obligated to work in our lives in a certain way. No, the habits of grace, these, these practices, they do not guarantee any specific result. But we also still see in Scripture that there are these certain practices that if we implement them, then we are in a position where God works most frequently to pour himself and pour grace into our lives. And so that's what the idea of habits of grace is all about. It's putting ourselves in a position for God's transforming grace to work in our lives so that we will grow in enjoying him and in glorifying him. Now, I can't claim any originality with the title Habits of Grace. There's a book called Habits of Grace. And it was actually this book by David Mathis that opened my eyes to this, this idea and this term because I, I was very familiar with spiritual disciplines. But as I said, I, I like the phrase habits of grace more. And so in this series, I'll be leaning significantly on this book, uh, also on another book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. If you want to dig deeper on these topics, I highly recommend reading either one of these books. Uh, it's a great resource for digging deeper into um, these habits of grace or these spiritual disciplines. Now, my goal in, in these Habits of Grace series for us is not that these would be just merely New Year's resolutions. Because you know what? If you're going to make resolutions, yeah, make some spiritual ones as well to grow closer to God. But the reality is New Year's resolutions don't generally transform our lives. For some people, they do. But statistics have shown that by the end of January, half of all people who've made New Year's resolutions have already stopped pursuing them. 50% by the end of January. Then by the end of February... 80% 
of those people who made New Year's resolutions have stopped trying. New Year's resolutions do not have a great track record uh, for follow-through. And what we're looking for is something that will make an actual habit into our lives long-term. But New Year's resolution, if that's all it is, will not do it. I I think of something I saw on Facebook uh, on New Year's Day this week. Uh, It's from one of my Facebook friends. And he's with a group of people here. And it says, 24 hours ago, so this is December 31st, starting tomorrow, we're not eating out. We need to lose weight and save money. So that was on December 31st. Now this post was on January 1st. And it says, today, at Olive Garden. (laughs) I mean, 12 hours into the new year, and you're already failing. Now, you can certainly, if you fail in a New Year's resolution, you can certainly get back on again and, and keep pursuing it. But that's the reality of New Year's resolutions, is we have great intention. But we struggle to follow through. Now, hopefully we'd make it longer than 12 hours, when probably at least half of that was sleeping. But the reality is that that good intentions don't necessarily get us to where we need to go. But what we're looking at doing is building these habits that become ingrained in our lives, not merely a New Year's resolution. And by doing this, by doing these habits of grace, we're we're seeking to move beyond just a haphazard approach to spiritual growth. Because most people, most Christians... Their, their plan or their intentionality for spiritual growth is haphazard at best. I mean, you get people who are very disciplined and focused on, on keeping their budget or on doing their work right or on investing time in their hobbies or working out on a regular basis or eating well. You can get people who are very disciplined and focused and intentional in those areas yet they are incredibly haphazard in their relationship with God and how they're growing there. And so what Habits of Grace is trying to do is is to bring a a high degree of intentionality into our spiritual lives to help us to grow. And I think it's important in all this to remember what is the goal that we are pursuing here. Because training and discipline by itself, if it doesn't have a larger goal it's aiming towards, will fall by the wayside really quickly. I think back to high school track for me. I mean, what was my goal in running track. I mean, my goal was something more than just running quarter-mile circles over and over and over and over. I mean, that's what training frequently looked like. But I will tell you that, that if that's all track was about, was just, you know, run circles and, I mean, exert a lot of energy, sweat a lot, work hard, and then end up right where you started, that's not something that really entices me to keep going. No, on track, you, you have bigger goals that you're aiming for. You're putting in the training and the discipline So you can do well in track meets, hopefully win, set personal bests, set school records, go to state. These are the goals that compel you to be dedicated in your training. And unfortunately for many Christians, we haven't really thought about what goal compels us in our Christian life. And without a compelling goal, it's going to be hard to persist in any sort of training or develop any habit. And I'll share with you kind of what my, what my heart is of, okay, what am I pursuing? Why, why do I think it's valuable to pursue Christ, to, to really implement habits of grace? To me, it's about being caught up in a story that's so much bigger than ourselves. The story of who God is and what God is doing in this universe. That we get to be a part of that. And I agree with the Apostle Paul that there is nothing that compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus. 
That Jesus is the ultimate source of joy and hope and peace and confidence and purpose and identity in life. There's nothing that compares to him. I think what Pastor John Piper has said, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The purpose for which God made us is to glorify him. But the way that we best glorify him, the way he gets the most glory out of our lives, is, that, is when we are uh, in, enjoying our relationship with him. When we are satisfied in him more than anything else. And, and to me, that's part of what motivates me, is that I want to enjoy something that's durable. It's so easy to get our enjoyment out of things that will pass quickly. Whether it's sports or things that money can buy, or physical fitness. Um, you know, Paul says uh, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Pursuing things of this world, I mean, accomplishments and successes at work and at school and athletics and, and, stuff, and hobbies, those things don't give us ultimate long-term satisfaction. We need more and more and more. But Jesus satisfies us in a way that no one else can. And to me, that provides the motivation to find satisfaction and joy in Him. And that, along the way, brings tremendous glory to God because then the focus is on Him. And so I pray that, that um, you know, that's part of what compels me. I pray that you will be compelled by similar types of things, by the greatness of knowing God, by wanting to enjoy Him more. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to, to Stick around for this Habits of Grace series and to really focus in on, on implementing these Habits of Grace because as we do so, it, it basically serves as, as a gymnasium for godliness, training us to enjoy God and to glorify Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us so many reasons to rejoice. We live in a world that is broken and challenging. And as hard as we try in our jobs and our school and our friendships and family and, and uh, with our, our finances and stuff and hobbies, Lord, these things, they're good, but they don't bring ultimate lasting satisfaction. But God, we thank you that you give us a source of satisfaction and joy that is durable, that nothing can take away. And so, Lord, I pray that you will move us beyond apathy and indifference, move us beyond just going through the motions in our relationship with you, and I pray that you will move us toward truly enjoying you. And we know that there are habits that can help us along that path. They are means to the end, Lord, to help us to gain a passion for knowing you better and enjoying you, and that we will joyfully submit to the training that you want to do in our lives toward godliness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.